just going to be like uh, in other podcasts where someone says they're going to edit something out and then they don't actually edit something out? I might do that to you sometimes. Hello everyone, you're listening to Gom Jabber, the world's hottest new Doom podcast, with your hosts, the Moa Dweebs. Buckle in, because this episode is a real melange à toi. Let's start with intros. Maybe he's our Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's making it happen. If I'm any not great power figure in that book, it's Shut on the Fourth. <laughs> Well, yeah, that, <laughs> you can have that. I am nowhere near as cunning as the Baron. I don't know. Um, That's what the Baron would say. Uh, so my name is uh, Alec Boyle. I'm a college administrator and writer who lives outside of Los Angeles. I organize this little podcast because uh, I know that myself and Lily and Josh were all big Dune fans, and we're all locked inside our houses for the foreseeable future. And there's a Dune movie coming out at Christmas, supposedly, although maybe not anymore now, right? Uh, and I thought it would be fun if we broke down uh, all of the book uh, in a perfectly timed way to lead right up to the release of the movie, and then maybe we could all work out a way to go see the movie together in some context. There's a lot of other... Do- like, Josh has a Dune board game that's supposed to be pretty great that I would love us all to try and play. Uh, anyway, so that, that that's that. Uh, I was first introduced to Dune as a young kid because I remember it. my mom rented a copy from blockbuster of the david lynch movie and i asked if i could watch it and she said sure but you'll probably think it's scary as i i don't know what you're talking about and then i went to watch it and got to the first scene with the guild navigators and immediately stopped the cassette left the room and didn't come back (laughs) Um, i'm more surprised that you were like you were blockbuster video brand loyal back then like you weren't family video you weren't hollywood video we had doctor video no in chicago it was pretty much at least at that time it was blockbuster nothing hollywood showed up eventually but in our uh, in our swanky suburb that was the case yeah well in my bfe rural wisconsin place (laughs) we had knockoff doctor video that was half video store half uh, amazing candy counter so you could get your oh, like the bulk candy with the handle. Oh, oh, oh. no, no, like glass countertop laid out. Oh. Like give me five warheads, two sour patch, <laughs> and then like three laffy taffies because I've got eighty-seven cents. That only in Wisconsin are the labor costs low enough for that to be a viable <laughs> business model. <laughs> That's amazing. What about you guys, uh, Josh? Why don't you go next? I'm Josh Stevens, uh, native Chicagoan, now living in suburban Cincinnati. I am a corporate sales trainer and a budding podcaster. Is that, is that the word? Podcaster? Podcast impresario, I believe, is the technical word. <laughs> no, um, like all essential nerdery, um, I was introduced to Dune by uh, Alec Boyle. 
Um, pretty much anything my wife would roll her eyes at. Um, <laughs> this is Alex's fault, really, in my life. Um, and I was just really drawn to the idea of riding a sandworm, I think, is, is really what this comes down to. <laughs> it's I mean, just, that's it's all just about. so transparently phallic, Josh. <laughs> I just want to save you from it, but you just keep walking, riding, riding. I the think work, we're both very it. comfortable with it. <laughs> it's it's fine. the The hooks the hooks had a large, um, you know, draw. You know, you really taming the beast. <laughs> I mean, vaginas have barbs, so it's it it, it tracks it tracks. And Lily, what about you? I'm Lily. I'm a raging feminist who talks about vagina barbs. That's where that's it. Everybody in this room is a raging feminist who loves to talk about (laughs) vagina barbs. Don't try to exclude us, okay? (laughs) I'm so uh, delighted to be talking about Dune. My name is Lily Brislin. Uh, Dr. Lillian Brislin professionally. I am a rural sociologist by training and a big old nerd. And um, I'm often the token female in spaces, but this, despite being the only woman, is not a space where I'm a token female because these dudes have been my ride or die dune dudes for a long time. Sure, we are dudes. Dune dudes. The three of us are a, a dude. Title for the next episode, Dune Dudes. Dune Dudes. <laughs> Dune Dudes. Dune Dudes podcast. It is. That's a segment, maybe. Dune Dudes. Dune yes. Dudes. Yes. Uh, what's my point? Oh, I am a big old nerd, but not a common nerd. I have loved Dune. I came to it through the movie, which is maybe uncommon. I have an unironic love for Frank Herbert's, David Lynch's Frank Herbert's Dune. That is only matched by my unironic love for showgirls. And I think there's some interesting parallels to be explored between. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. Bonus episode. We're, we are equipped for this. <laughs> Who dude mispronounced a city? <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be someone. Someone. Uh, yeah, I've, I came to it through the film, which I have loved deeply and profoundly since childhood. I don't remember if it was Dr. Video or how I found it, uh, but I found it cinematic and epic. And um, as any young woman with aspirations of power have found the Benny Jesuits to be profoundly inspiring. But uh, I mean, we'll explore this, but the rereading with a more... Uh, with more experience with with feminist theory, it's like, oh, oh I there's agree. something. There's a lot of here. really interesting, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about about the Benny Gesserit and Paul when you know how the whole series pans out, right? Because <laughs> I mean, this is something I want to get into when we get into the book, right? We start talking about quotes. But at the beginning of the book, Paul is very aggressively laid out as the hero. Yeah. And Paul is not the hero, right? Paul is the problem. Uh, really good it's really good i can't wait to get to that um yeah i also i also love the movie i um was introduced to it through the movie and then read the book i think it's one of the first books that it maybe took me a couple tries to finish but then i did end up loving right when you i first started reading i was like i think like 11 or 12 right and it's just like 
very dense. But now I look back at the other sort of like bigger sci-fi pieces that I like. And I'm like, oh, that really dug some furrows into my brain, right? Because those are now the channels that I like to go down. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, so the setup for this episode of the podcast is that we read the first three chapters, uh, quote unquote, of the book Dune. Now, you might be sitting at home with a paper copy or listening to the audiobook, and you might be like, uh, there aren't chapters, there's three parts, and it's very hard to know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, for this context, we demarked the chapters, and me and Lily have a big fancy hardbound uh, brown and copper copy of the book that demarks the chapters very clearly by the pull quotes, right? So anytime you get to a pull quote in your book, in our book, we get a whole, like, page stop. It doesn't necessarily happen for everybody else. Um, But that is what we'll be referring to as chapters going forth. So we did the first three, um, beginning with the one with the famous, a beginning is a time for taking the most delicate care quote. And then... Ending with the relatively short aftermath of the Gam Jabbar chapter that begins with uh, "Thus spoke Saint Ali of the knife." Speaking of uh, interesting feminist betrayals, one of my favorite fictional characters of all time, uh, and maybe the best name. Like that's a real progenitor of badass names, right? Saint Alia of the knife. That—that's <laughs> uh, that's something that's still, I think, reverberating through nerd pop culture, even with a lot of people who have no idea what that reference is to it's so beautiful i feel like there's some game of thrones reference there i feel like uh what's your face aria aria yep aria is a hundred percent pulling a lot from uh alia guys i need you to to take what i'm about to say and cut it back in earlier because now i sound like the only asshole who doesn't like the movie because i didn't <laughs> it earlier <laughs> And when in truth, I didn't realize that there were people that only liked it ironically. So that's where I'm coming from. I know, right? How do you not watch that piece of cinematic brilliance? And to hear that David Lynch is ashamed of it is uh, gut-wrenching. Especially because it's part of what I think, I think, but it ties into both of this. It's a really weird piece of cinema, right? Which both is a thing that David Lynch should be proud of. And explains why some people have trouble embracing it earnestly, right? I was actually also just there's a there's a, a shout out to a podcast that's not ours. Um, uh, a couple of comedians I like, Nicole Byer and um, uh, I forgot her name. Uh, anyway, have a podcast called Newcomers where they're watching all the Star Wars movies for the first time. Oh. Uh, Lauren Lapkus, Nicole Byer and Lauren Lapkus, newcomers, watching all the Star Wars movies for the very first time. They hate New Hope, uh, the, the the first Star Wars movie that came out, right? And then a guest comes on at one point, and he talks about, like, yeah, it's a really weird movie. And it's one reason to like it, right? But I think a lot of people nowadays are just very uncomfortable with movies that are weird, movies that are slow. Um mm. Right, movies that are focused on aesthetic elements rather than entertainment or storytelling elements. I rewatched Blade Runner the other day and was thinking the same thing of like, wow, this movie has so much space in it, as in like narrative space. And yeah. Space to be weird and to have aesthetic and like I, that's exactly what I loved about it and exactly what I've always loved about 
that David Lynch version of Doom, where it's like, which is exactly the thing I've always loved about sci-fi and fantasy is that space for world building and narrative ev- evolution and stepping into it. That's the escapism, but also intellectual curiosity. Like you need space to be curious. Well, and I think you're also a next generation fan, right? Oh yeah. And and so there's a podcast I listen to about that. Another shout out for a podcast. It's not this one uh, called Treks in the city. Uh, that's a couple of, uh, comedians watching all of that from start to finish uh and kind of talking about it but in a not focused not like you know nerd ledger kind of way right they they kind of sometimes they talk about the whole episode start to finish sometimes it's 10 minutes out of a 90 minute podcast um if you're gonna shout out a podcast within this podcast you're never gonna shout out this podcast if someone's already listened <laughs> to it You've, you've done the job. It doesn't, oh, that's you don't true. That's true. They're here. I don't need to tell them to listen to this podcast. That's right. So you can you can you can drop that whole thing. Um, but uh, one of the things they talk about is Star Trek: The Next Generation has so much dead air, right? Mm-hmm. Like if somebody goes to a desk to pick up a computer to read a file, they show you every second of them walking from the door to the desk, picking up the computer, turning it on, reading the thing, thinking about it, and then they talk. I've never noticed that. I'll have to. Yeah. It's... One of the things, and this is a segment we've proposed for this podcast is Dune evangelism is I'm thinking of it, of like the haters in our lives who don't appreciate the brilliance. One of the things that my partner, you Greg know, these people, so many, I so know many. people that love Dune and people have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> There are. Well, mostly people in my life who I've forced to watch Dune because uh, I'm a little bossy. Just, I mean, I've got a little oh, Benny oh. Desert in me. Got it. Got it. So this is, it's really your fault is what you're saying. Uh, sure. Yeah. You're so, making people hate Dune. Can you stop doing that? No, I'm, I am bringing the gospel of Dune to them. And if they turn away from the truth and the light, like that's not my, that's not on me. They would just you're not, never you're not a salesman. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're not, you're not a salesman. You, you forget I'm a sales trainer. I can help you here. I'm an academic, Josh. I, I thrive on reason. <laughs> you need to sell it. You need to sell it. I've well, never had a we'll For the Dune Evangelism segment. segment, Yeah. we'll have a competition. Okay, right? selling, we'll see who Dune? can get more people sold on Dune uh, in between a couple of episodes. That's what we'll and do going forward. Selling sand to a Fremen. An election. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <clears throat> but the compla- uh, okay, so the complaint Greg has about Star Trek and probably most people have about Doom is exactly like the dialogue is terrible. In Star Trek in particular, like they're just talking about like, oh, the thr- port thruster on the starboard bow. And it's like, yeah, but that's I don't know how to explain why I appreciate that about it. It is deeply and profoundly calming to me. Yeah. Right? It's so procedural. Well, it assures me that there is rationale that there's a calm leader that is Jean-Luc Picard and in, in, informed and making calm decisions. Well, one of the things we've talked fun. about here is it just like, because I was essentially raised by Star Trek The Next Generation, I have a pretty unerring faith in the ability of problems to be solved by meetings. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works in corporate America. <sighs> so, Alec, <laughs> I've never had that insight. <laughs> Uh, Lily, it's an upside. 
me and Lily are also huge fans of Neil Stevenson's Anathem, which, by the way, I started a reread of yesterday. I'm about 38% done. Damn, Alec. <laughs> I re-listened. I have the audible book of it, which I, I, if you haven't done it, it's so, so good. Okay. I, I probably re- reread it once a year. It's true. At it's least a- once a year. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you guys segue nicely to um, my only insight about Dune. And that is that I think when I think about Dune, I think of it in the same universe as Star Trek. Like it's just also there. Mm. Like it could all just be part of it. It's so, it's huh. like, I just like to imagine like the crew of the Enterprise happening upon <laughs> Dune, or, upon a racket. <laughs> And and seeing the conflict and seeing how they try to fix it with meetings. That's really funny. Which I do not think would work. <laughs> you are blowing my mind right now, Josh, and it's also totally clicking. I see it 100%. It fits. I mean, it's all in the same silly vein of being very serious, but I guess also very silly. My mind is reeling. My mind is reeling for this upside. Like they go through a wormhole and they end up at Arrakis. Like yeah, this sure, is totally. thing that should happen. Where is this mashup? Where is sure, this movie? To be fair, not to cross universes too much, but it seems much more like a DS9 Dune mashup than a TNG Dune mashup. It's mm. all the same thing. No. No, but like the way that Ferengi and the sort of strife and conflict that's allowed in DS9 is much more plausible. Like Ferengi's definitely exist in the world of the Spice Guild. Yeah, that's for sure. The mm. Ferengi might just be like a fourth stage guild navigator that got lost. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Turns out after DS9. a space slug in a freight train, you turn into fat-eared <laughs> uh, space stereotype. Wait, are you sure it's not the other way around? Like the Ferengis, they they like reach the pinnacle of their existence once they've learned all of the rules of acquisition and have practiced them, (laughs) and then they become the navigators. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm buying this train. Yeah, this seems much more like a narrative flow. I'm with Josh on this. Yeah. All right, you guys win. Yes. So should we talk about the individual chapters at all? Um, I have my notes. Josh has my notes. I'm assuming Lily I didn't, has. Notes. I didn't. I didn't read them, and also I listened to the first three <laughs> chapters, so I don't have any. If notes. you think that I don't have quotes and page annotations, yeah. <laughs> well, I was counting on you guys to be prepared. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Um, my glasses oh. are slipping. I'm sorry. So um, I was going to start, actually, though, by when we discuss each chapter, reading the entirety of the quote that uh, sets it off, because I think they're the entirety of the chapter. Yep. That's weird. This is a four hour long podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle in, kids. (laughs) No, but I think reading the quotes could be useful. Absolutely. Um, I need some context. Yeah. So I'll start with this first one, but then I might make you guys read other ones later on. Uh. A beginning is a time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct. This every sister of the Bene Gesserit knows. To begin your study of the life of Muad'Dib, then... Some really weird commaing there. It's then, comma, then, comma. Take care that you first place him in his time, born in the 57th year of the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. 
and take the most special care that you locate Muad'Dib in his place, the planet Arrakis. Do not be deceived by the fact that he was born on Caladan and lived his first 15 years there. Arrakis, the planet known as Dune, is forever his place. From the Manual of Moadib by the Princess Rulan. So I have a lot of thoughts about that quote, but I'm going to let somebody else talk first. I keep coming back to the movie because the movie opens with the like lengthy quote and it like snatches you by the underparts, whatever those may be for you. <laughs> Which is funny because I do think that that's something a lot of people don't like about the movie right i think that's seen as like the voiceover in blade runner is sort of like which is funny because a lot of those people i bet fucking nut their pants constantly over the crawl in star wars i was about to say the same thing and what's (laughs) even weirder is they have to read that right (laughs) you would think having someone else read it to them would be better and the crawl is throwing it out there is it because it's an author? It's like an authoritarian female voice. Like it opens with that beautiful female voice in the movie, and this is a voice from a princess, right? Like who is she? Well, I assumed it was a guy narrating her comments, but whatever. No, it's, it's like, no, she wrote it. Yeah, I know, but if you were hearing it, oh, in, you're in the audio book. Yeah, it's gonna be like a guy saying. That's possible. In the movie, it's her. It's the actress it's who plays Arulin who mm-hmm. says. Uh, right, you're gonna you're gonna right you're gonna come into me and Lily here who both have like every version of this memorized. I think I need to watch the movie again. You probably do. You probably need to make your wife watch it with you. Have I not made her do that? I don't. I don't know if I'm ready for that fight yet. Buy her a nice bottle of wine. <laughs> Be like we're sitting down for three hours of. I don't Steve think there's enough. Bikini. She's never forgiven Steve for making her watch Twelve Monkeys, so. I don't huh. know if I can put that on you. Oh, you can put it on me. Blame I mean, me. I would. I would. Uh, anyway, so here, here are my thoughts about that quote, right? Um, it was really interesting is obviously, I mean, it's, it's a little on the nose, but as a literary device, it's pretty funny to start the very first chapter by talking about a beginning, right? Mm-hmm. They're basically saying, here's how we were going to set this up and then setting it up. It's a little on the nose, but yeah. But I think what's also interesting, and this Lily has some thoughts on this, but the quote itself is really actually about the Bene Gesserit. Oh. Right? It's it's talking about Paul, but it's really about the Bene Gesserit spent, you know, 700 centuries with this breeding program that led to this guy, right, who was... Born on this planet, but that's not what matters. What matters is how he figures into the Bene Gesserit project once he gets to Arrakis. Right? Like, it's not him, but it's his place. Like, he is he is the placeholder for the Quintet Satirac, right? He is, right. yeah. I'm into it. Um, and then, yeah. Did anyone else have any other thoughts on that? I mean, is this basically just, like, her scavenger hunt? Like, she's giving them some instructions to follow i think it's more that so they say like so the quote places him in historical context for the Bene Gesserit breeding project and it also places him 
in place, right? It has a real emphasis on place and not to be too like, oh, graduate school seminar, but you know, it's saying place, planet Arrakis, like that. The... But then what's interesting, right? It says his place is Arrakis, but it opens on Caladan, mm-hmm. right? The very first chapter does not. Which I'm into exploring narratives of colonialism, which in reading the first three chapters, I'm like, there are some interesting white, white settler colonialism pieces that I don't know that Frank Herbert intended to it, but that are so intrinsic to the way that like Paul as the colonizer, as the savior of these desert people. So, right. Yes, well, it is right because like, yeah. and then especially when we get to the second chapter and the Harkonnens, right. And the very explicit differences between their colonization and the Atreides. But, and again, you might be thinking, Oh, this is setting up the Atreides as the good guys and Paul as the hero, but spoiler alert. Paul's not the hero. <laughs> right? White savior. White savior, Alex. It's, it's really good. It's really good, I think, in the way he, like you said, consciously or not, he subverts a lot of that stuff. My next literary note was one of the things I really liked. Um, is it basically the very first sentence is like something out of a fairy tale, right? An old crone came to visit the mother of the boy <laughs> Paul. That's, the, oh, that's Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Beat for beat, right? Mm-hmm. This witch comes out of nowhere and tests the prince. Uh, parallel to that, my favorite part is for me on page six, but it's that his mommy chooses his clothes for him. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't even notice that. That's really good. Where? It was laid out. It was laid out for him or something. He studied the tallness of her, saw the hint of tension in her shoulders as she chose clothes <laughs> for him. I did rat. not even notice that. That is amazing. Yes. Huh. It, it, there's just so much to say about it. But it's like, I mean, realizing in this rereading that he's supposed to be 15, right? And his mommy's still picking out his clothes for his big day says yeah. a lot. That sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> think that's uncommon. But I mean, you leave a 15 year old to pick out his own clothes for the big day. That's also very You were getting true. sent back to your room. Right? It's not that he game. wouldn't pick out clothes. It's that he cannot be trusted to pick out the right clothes. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't be trusted to stay in the room with the old crone. She had to wait outside and make sure he didn't leave, right? I mean... Right. My next note that I had that's pretty interesting, this uh, current event interest piece for me, uh, is a little later on. Once men turned their thinking over to machines in the hope that this would set them free, but that only permitted other men with machines to enslave them. And I think that's super fascinating because one of my current futurism bugaboos is that I think we are careening towards a capitalist planned economy and we don't know it. Um, if you look at what's happening right now with machine learning and the, and it's interesting, I don't know if Herbert like, Right, on, it's obviously he could not have connected to the the specifics of how this was going to shake out 40 years later, right? But when you look at the, what is possible with current data gathering and the strength of machine learning algorithms, uh, we are rapidly headed towards the point where companies produce based on produce very accurate amounts of product based on projected demand, barring things like global house binding uh, <laughs> catastrophes, right? But uh, but especially when you look at the way, the, my favorite example of this, of like a primitive form of this, is if you look at the way that movie companies, movie studios, 
can predict the box office of an opening now uh, a week in advance pretty well, right? Based just on how many people are interacting with ads and stories about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right. We're not there. And the, the, the history of global capitalism and bureaucracy is of uh, constant incompetent overreach, right? They're going to think they've got this figured out and it, it's going to be 10 years away from actually figure it out, but we're headed there, right? We're headed to a point where the economy with the ability to aggregate information about people gives people really frightening amounts of not control, but channeling power over them. Uh, and so I just thought it was interesting that 40 years ago, uh, this guy in the age of transistor computers wrote that down uh, in a book about, you know, floating fat guys on a sandbox. <laughs> I mean, a year a year ago, my company announced some plans to introduce a a program that would be used by our sales force that would give them prompts uh, such as to smile more, talk slower, talk faster, really to try to match what the client or the person on the other end of the line was saying. If you sounded like you were getting hostile or angry, it would prompt you to change your tone, your mood, your behavior your speech in some fashion. Wow. How did that work out? Uh, We haven't implemented it in the department that I'm in. I, there may be departments that are using it already, but I haven't actually seen it in practice. Only uh, the sort of the preview of the plan for it. Lily, you stabbed your webcam with your pen in a way that made me think you (laughs) say something. (laughs) I'm, uh, it's been too many years since I've delved deep into Marxist analysis, right, of capitalism and the, and the contrast between capitalist economy and planned economy, but I'm profoundly intrigued by it. And it, I want to tie it back to the Bene Gesserits because that's, that's my, those are my girls, that's my people. And the notion of, I'm so curious to reread this book because I actually haven't read ahead uh, and cool. it's been a long time since I've read it. But yeah, to, I'm doing that too. I'm reading my chapters as we go. Yeah. Um, this idea of being human and testing for humanness. And I think there's an interesting tension there between the mentax, right? The human computers and the rejection of computer culture, which in our context now would be the algorithm. I, and this concept I have so much human. to say about mentats later too. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so that uh, – oh, and I'm going to miss the quote. But right, that, that humans turn their thinking over to computers and then it's been returned. But I think there's a difference between what the mentats would see as human – and I could yeah. be wrong – and what the Bene Gesserits would see as profoundly human. Well, one of the things that they actually – they pointed out um, over in Let's Get Weirding – uh, the other Dune podcast that I do recommend everybody go and listen to, but that I thought was interesting, right, is that it's not that the computers took over, right? Computers mm-hmm. were not the problem. It was that giving that powerful of a tool to powerful humans enabled them to enslave others. Using those things, right. Right. It's not, it's not a robot problem. It's, a, it's like how having... I can't access half the internet because I can't pass the CAPTCHA test. <laughs> <laughs> That is too much power. And I, I, let, let me let me shout out another podcast. My brother, my brother and me, one of my favorites, they recently talked about how why is it that the computers are only testing for like street and driving related 
I actually know the Not answer like, to that if you and the McElroys are interested. We are really interested. So them. in Google Maps, I don't know. I think they've disabled it for now. But at one point, they were offering me a step-by-step walking directions AR where I would just hold up my phone and it would show me where to walk to get to where I was going. And like it did that by looking at road signs and crosswalks and streetlights. Right. Mm-hmm. And you would just look through your phone. Right. It's obviously not really supposed to be for phones. It's supposed to be for glasses or self-driving cars. Right. But you're training their machine learning algorithms to identify ambiguous, complex street iconography so you're saying that captcha isn't to try to keep the computers out it's to try to let us train them to let the computers in yep ah! <laughs> the worst thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> so just to pull it back to the text because i'm a textualist would, would, you, would you please bring it back bring it back <laughs> bring it back to page 10 in the ultimate nerd compendium version ultimate nerd gonna... edition yes advancing uh, so this is post, and I feel like I would like a montage of all of us, a uh, cross-cut of us reading the famous I Must Not Fear of Fear is the Mind Killer. Mm-hmm. Here's the quote. You've heard of animals. So this is this is post-Paul passing the Gomjabar test. Gomjabber. That's right, Gomjabber. The Gomjabber. You've heard of animals chewing off a leg to escape a trap. There's an animal kind of trick. And human would remain in the trap, endure the pain, feigning death that he might kill the trapper and remove a threat to his kind. So anyway, what else did you want to say about that quote? Well, just that this concept of human versus animal, and if we're thinking through what it means to be a capitalist versus something else, um, and I don't know if Frank Herbert will provide openings to that exploration of sort of like what is that something else and what does what does the quizet cetera promise and i don't know that it'll get there because it seems very mired in sort of patriarchal notions of a savior of a and specifically of a white savior but i think we could explore that and this idea of like an animal chews off their own like that is what a capitalist would do right it would cut its losses it would excise oh, the interesting short-term planning yeah yep Versus the human, which sacrifices itself for the greater good, like gets rid of the trapper, which in a moment of global pandemic, when we're all staying our asses at home, I'm just thinking a lot about what it is. Maybe we should be getting rid of the trapper, not the trapper. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Deep thoughts. Uh, I don't know exactly where it is, so I need to go back a little bit. But there's another great power examination quote. Um that I really loved where it's Paul talking about the Benny Gesserit. Mm. Um, yeah, I have really screwed the pooch by not taking chapter notes on this. Um, you did write an exegesis dissertation where you had to text page site every quote you put in there. But anyway, at one point he's asking the Benny Gesserit about what they do. And she kind of explains lightly, you know, surface level. And then he says, uh, you take a lot on yourselves. And I think that, right, I mean, it's coming obviously from a guy in a position of extreme entitlement and power, but that's such <laughs> a fantastic rebuttal of behavior that is endemic to the powerful, right? To assume that once you have power, you are the only one who is 
qualified <laughs> to maintain it. Oh, I love that, Alec. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You guys have thought about a lot more than just riding a sandworm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm not Before we run out of time, and because Alex said something so profound that I'm not prepared to intellectually respond to, because because <laughs> it was so good, the voice. Can we talk about the voice and the Benny Jesuit voice that is introduced early and often? Yeah, yeah. Paul is obsessed right with that. I am obsessed with it because I think it's every woman's dream that you can you can say things with a gravitas and like reach reach deep into yourself and say something that will make someone hear you. I think that's such a profound desire. Like I will be able to speak in a way that will demand that people hear me. Yeah. It doesn't work. I've got a three-year-old and I can't even get him to go put on his shoes. Like I, <laughs> there's no way that there's a, there's a person that can do this. But hold on. But for a while I used to maintain that I had a superpower and that that superpower was the angry white man. Excuse me. Which is that if you just <laughs> summon enough. That privilege and sternness into your voice and you say excuse me people will literally jump out of your way involuntarily i mean we said this about my father we called it and i didn't realize my nerd game is multi-generational my family always referred to it as the voice (laughs) (laughs) wonderful it's literally just excuse me no no he can do it like you need to stop that now. You know, he can, he can do whatever. Yeah. Alex, angry, angry white man. Oh, Alec only gets one. Bill Brislin, my father, can use the can voice. Use the voice. Hmm. He's talented, huh? Now, what, now, Lily, I feel like if anyone I know could use the voice, it might be you. So <laughs> have you done field experiments with this? I should try this. This could be a good segment for the show where I try like normal, like, hey, excuse me. Oop, I just want to ooch past you versus like, Oop. excuse me. Well, don't don't sound like you're in a uh, like a community theater production, but. <laughs> good morning. Did you fall out of your chair? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, this is good. We'll try. Oh, we should all do it. We should all go out in the fields, in the sand fields, in the dune, yeah. and try voice and see see which of us can be most successful in using. Well, the question is, are we allowed to get close enough to other human beings right now for it to have effect? It might have a maximum range. Uh, uh, stay, away. stay away might work real well. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your distance. There it is. I think we all might have that power in in this type. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. All you have to do is cough. (laughs) That's not a voice. (laughs) That is a threat. Uh, I think that was the end. And then one of the other things I did want to say that I do very much criticize about this book is that right at the end of the first chapter, and this is something that continues on for quite a lot, it dives real deep into some Jungian nonsense of mm. like blood memories. Right. And, um, and it's interesting because mainly I brought it up. I mean, it's obviously, it's a fantasy element, not a sci-fi element, right? That's not real. There's no mechanism by which that could be real. And it's a, a trope that you see in a lot of 60s, 70s sort of sci-fi, right? With sort of like ideas like that, uh, like ESP, right? Not like 
that other species, but just like, oh, given enough time, you know, everybody will just eventually develop telepathy. <laughs> hmm. Right? Things that there's no actual sci-fi grounding for. Well, I mean, genetic memories in general. I mean, I just read something about how like trauma and stress of like POWs and and people in the military will yes. pass it on to their children. Epigenetics is real. Um, right. The Baron Harkonnen living in your blood and possessing your baby sister is not. Well, it's what's it's, that explanation? It's Dune. You've never been to Arrakis. It's when it's when it's when the Reverend Mother actually is explaining. Uh, the weird part about uh, how the, the the witches can only see so much when they look inside, and they need a male, right, mm-hmm. a male Benny Jesuit essentially to look at the last bit. Oh, right, they need the savior, yes, to see both the male and the female parts because women are incapable. Oh, yeah, here it is. We looked down so many avenues of the past, but only feminine avenues. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it would be true if it was the other way around. <laughs> so i mean this is written by a guy he only knows what he knows he only knows what he knows well i along a similar line and this is not uh, we haven't talked about chapter what in my mind is chapter three at all but for as as tone deaf as frank herbert can be in some moments about the female experience as a woman approaching middle age the <laughs> opening quote to chapter three it hits a little too close where it, uh, for rip. when youth, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but for okay. when youth and beauty have gone, she will find that she will find that place between uh, once occupied by tension has become this incredibly productive space. Like, so once you abandon youth and beauty, you can mm-hmm. exist in this limb, no place where you can be manipulative. And it's tying back to this idea of the crone but that shit is real. Can I say shit? I don't know. Yeah, you can say shit. <laughs> well, because I'm about to bring up the comedy skit about um, where the female comedians host the party for the woman when she finally becomes unfuckable. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I don't, but that oh, really resonates. I'll send that out in the group chat at some point. Uh, <laughs> it sounds familiar. You've probably talked about it before. Because it's, it's for Julia Louis-Dreyfus, right? Mm. Oh, you talked Maybe about right St. Alley of the Night, but once occupied by tension has become a wellspring of cunning and resourcefulness, right? Like once you're no longer trying to fend off the D, once you can just like get down to the business of being a human that people people and by people it I takes mean, a lot of effort, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually be <laughs> coming from every direction. I mean, what are you supposed oh, to do? Dick, Dick's here, Dick's there, balls. Oh, <laughs> get him out of my way. They're like sandworms coming up. I can't multitask, so I can only imagine you'd be way more productive if you didn't have to dodge those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to go a little more chronologically and quickly talk about chapter two, which is the, the intro to the Harkonnens. Best uh, villain ever. When are we going to get the quote in? They tried and died. Oh, well, you. why don't you read us that passage real quick? Uh, she just did. About... She just said they tried and died. That was <laughs> that was the whole thing. The whole thing. It's the True. whole thing mattered. Man, that is, I mean, I haven't read the book in a real long time, but I feel like that's, that sticks with you. 
Yeah, that is right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quote that gets its hooks into your soul. You hear someone say they tried, and you immediately think that they died. They died. It is said a man will come one day and find in the gift of the drug his inward eye. He will look where we cannot into both feminine and masculine paths. Your quitsat satirac? Yes. The one who can be many places at once. The quitsat satirac. Many men have tried the drug. So many. But none has succeeded. They tried and failed? All of them? Oh, no. She shook her head. They tried and died. Can I also defend the whole thing we were just talking about, about how he can see both the female and the male side? He was bred to do that. He was not supposed to be born. That's true. He was. Well, I wait, hold up. I have a whole thought about the, the, the breeding program that I want to bring up later. Eugenics? It's fucking eugenics. It's not. No, eugenics? It's not. Here, okay, we'll get to this right now. This is a chapter <laughs> two thing. It's not eugenics. It's dog breeding. Wait, how do we, not pod- trying how to do make- we podcast a face? Because I need Lily's face to come across <laughs> the airwaves here. <laughs> we should have a Lily reaction gallery. <laughs> definitely needs to be uh, it's not, right? They're not trying to make a better race. They're just trying to bring forth this one trait. And they don't care how short, like how pug-faced you get as a result, right? They don't care what else happens to the breed, That's which is why the Harkonnens are more, you know, morbidly obese idiots. They just need the genetic traits for that that blood memory. Interesting. I don't know if I've picked up on that before. Yeah, that's, well, so that's, that's my whole note, right? But like, but, but addendum, it ha- the quits et cetera has to be a male. It's not just a trait; it's a gender trait. But there's no way that a bunch of men could breed the male thing into some female offspring. Can you That's what I was that? So, like, it's genetically, like, it has to be women that do the selection. Maybe. Yeah. Here's the thing. The concept <laughs> is nonsense, which is why it's really hard to try and navigate. <laughs> it's hard to right? <laughs> But I had a little nugget there, and I felt like yeah, it was no, going somewhere. I know this is this is the nature of patriarchy. You're like, no, 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 that makes sense. And then you dig like one step deeper, and you're like, well, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not a matter of did it have to be like a man. I think it had to be a man because it was this group of women that were doing it. Had it been the other way around, maybe they could have. I don't know. But that's not what the situation well, the whole, we're presented with. The point is that the idea that there's some memory in your blood that only a guy could like that would be in all gender specific is nonsense i would like to agree with you alex well okay so here wait i think i've I've formed another thought maybe um so (laughs) if the traits of you know these all-powerful this this female order of powerful seers are able to pass this down to women very easily to the females in their lineage very easily um it makes it seem like this is something that passes along the female, you know, the females of the species. So if they're able to create a male who can also do this, he would have a different experience or a different genetic makeup yeah. than, well, than and a I, female. And so he would have this additional, you know, this additional right. and I think that most For most of it, right, the point that Herbert is going at is that only women are strong enough to look into the blood at all. 
right? And uh, mm-hmm. all 100% of men until now have not been strong enough. But if you could create a man who was smart enough and strong enough, he would have access to some extra info that the women up to that point had not. I think that's kind of nonsense, but I can see how he would think it wasn't sexist. <laughs> I get that. I get that point, Alec. He's trying to be nice to women to say have, <laughs> they have that special, you know, they they are comfortable with emotion. <laughs> you know, they're comfortable with blood and birth and menstruation, and that's something guys don't do. But like and noticing <laughs> shit. <laughs> totally outside of my experience so right and so for frank to be like imagine a dude (laughs) (laughs) yes that is the whole thing right that's it you you did it podcast over (laughs) all right we did it we solved dune guys problem solved good good podcast run yeah i'll send you that harry's razors checks when it comes in (laughs) wait i want i want a mattress (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, Are you guys ready for the free mattresses? As soon as I, I post this, we each get one. I, I, I can actually I use some raised like a motherfucker, man. Like I, I can't go to Target right now. My legs is hairier than a fucking mm. desert dweller. Oh, I well, Brennan. I will just I will take a moment to evangelize for a second. Everybody should just be using safety razors. Like disposable razors are trash. Safety razors so much easier. Alec, you're not shaving your legs, man. It's a lot of real estate. I guess. I also am. Lo- I. You can't even imagine I'm not you're not a woman. But also, my. <laughs> I don't shave with like shaving cream. I just shave with water, and like my skin is fine. So I don't when think. I'm you have nothing. To do <laughs> There's nothing I love more than when Lily breaks her phone while ex- exerting it herself. Like you flipped over every. Yeah, time it keeps that. flipping. It's amazing. Easily three times more surface area to shave on any given shaving expedition than hey, you do. This, you know what? This is an audio medium. Nobody knows how many chins I have. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. the Baron Harkonnen you've already compared me to. <laughs> Could be sitting in a pool with floaties just to keep myself from drowning in my own fat. Things <laughs> that do help me realize, I think we have undervalued mortal enemies i have not been someone that set out to have a mortal enemy but rereading the baron harkonnen has been like no like a solid blood enemy mortal enemy of that ilk would really give me the spark the motivation i need yeah yeah that's a good point i feel like i had like a kind of mortal enemy in college but what's the goal really what's the goal with the mortal enemy to a foil, right? We all, all, all knives are sharper with the steel. Yeah, Josh. right. Keeps you mm-hmm. thinking about every decision. Dodging, weaving, planning, scheming. Or uh, who was your bully college mortal enemy? Uh, I don't know if they knew it, right? And it was probably only for party. <laughs> uh, I really, the first couple years, thought. Was oh, my mortal enemy? Portland-looking dude with like glasses and headphones. I don't. He was he was a bisfa. Oh. If you're listening, please call in. <laughs> uh, Let us know if you don't have a phone number. But 
call in, please. I would love to get some info about this rivalry. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was a real rivalry. <laughs> what made him your mortal enemy? This is good because we can all make our own mortal enemies. This is our first segment, mortal this enemies. This is our first segment, making mortal enemies. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to this the segment. The Mortal Enemies podcast. Making mortal enemies. Alec, uh, what makes a good mortal enemy? How do you construct one out of air? So I think that what actually makes for mortal enemies is similarity, right? What mm-hmm. what induced those feelings of rivalry in me were that me and Ian occupied very similar spaces, but not quite the same, right? It wasn't twinsies. It was yeah. just we were trying to get at the same stuff from different angles. Uh, That's and, deeply true. And Did I think a lot of times... his angles as opposed to your angles, or was it... Uh... Well, he was more just recognize it, right? It's like most... Uh, like, this is some quote I'm butchering, right? But like one of the most of the stuff we dislike the most are flaws we recognize in ourselves, right? And so it was just like seeing all this stuff I didn't like and not really having the emotional vocabulary as a 19-year-old to explain it. This is deep, Alec, and I feel like we can use this. And uh, maybe for future territory to explore in a Mua Dweebs and the Menage Trois podcast is how are the Baron Harkonnen? And, and Duke yeah, that brings us to that quote I think you were asking me to, to yeah, read. Yeah, why don't you read that real quick? To attempt... An understanding of Maudib without understanding his mortal enemies, the Harkonnens, is to attempt to seeing truth without knowing falsehood. It is the attempt to see the light without knowing darkness. It cannot be from the manu- it cannot be from Manual of Maudib by the Princess Arulin. There we go. See? On the fucking nose. Yeah. I feel like there's no better ending than that. I feel like we've I feel like you just our- led me. You just led me just around this this path and then you just took me and you just Put me right in it. Like it was, it was perfect. Dropped it like a sandworm in the desert. Uh, cool. Well, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for joining what a in. wonderful diversion. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you're uh, also reading Dune to survive quarantine. <laughs> and stay the fuck at home. <laughs> stay the fuck at home. Uh, Load up on spice. So we'll see y'all in two weeks with the next episode of Gum Jabber. With the Moa Dweebs, a melange à toi. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys.